You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Dom Grimal of The Last Felony, Ion Dissonance, and Cryptopsy. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Hey, everybody. How's it going? I want to tell you about our friends from Washington, Sinusoid. The Soid Boys have been sponsoring this podcast for quite some time, and I want to just give a big public thank you to Andy and Anthony and Kevin and the rest of the crew up there. They, uh, they're doing great things, and they're uh, really putting out a great product. And if you haven't had a chance to scope out any of their wares yet, might I suggest something that we all need? Speaker cable. Everybody needs a speaker cable. So check out the Sasquatch. It's a huge, beefy, beast-like speaker cable. And one of the cool things is, like, it's so very obviously not an instrument cable. You're not going to have any mistakes, most likely, unless somebody's uh, had a few too many cold ones. Uh, You're not going to have any mistakes with somebody plugging in an instrument cable um, from your amp to your speaker cab, which, as a lot of you probably know is bad it's bad don't do it use a speaker cable so the sasquatch will ensure that that is very unlikely to happen because it's huge it's like that there's no there's no instrument cables that are that are made that way and you pick it up you really feel like you're holding a substantial piece of equipment because you are they're all made up in washington one at a time to order and they have a hundred year warranty so unless you're planning on living way into some sort of, you know, mutated state where you're beyond human, uh, then I think you're going to be good. should be the last cable you ever need. So hit up the Soid boys, and as the kids say, treat yourself. We are also brought to you by, actually, today's guest. Today's guest is Sean Arbo from Gun Street Wiring Shop. He decided to make the trek up to Portland, and... You know, I won't do uh, too much, but they did they did technically sponsor this episode. So make sure you check out Gun Street Wiring Shop. They're the place to go for all of your wiring harness needs, and Sean will work hard to ensure you get exactly what you want, functioning exactly the way you need it. So hit up GunStreetWiringShop.com and check their wares, and he's really open. If there's anything that uh, you think you need, um, he can do it for you. He's also got his standard kits that they've uh, perfected over the years. And the install is is really easy. If it's easy for me, it guarantee it's going to be easy for you. So hit up GunStreetWiringShop.com. And without further ado, let's talk to Sean. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the ToneMob.com podcast, the show about guitar tone and the people behind it. I'm your host, Blake Wyland, and with me today, I have Sean Arbo of Gun Street Wiring Shop. 
actually live in the shred shed this time. We're not we're not remoting it. <laughs> we're not phoning this one in as they call it. It's probably so, better that way. So I don't know. You how's your drive? How's the commute into in, commute into work today? It's pretty good. I mean, I make the drive a lot with my wife being here or from here, um, being from Gresham. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's you know just like another another drive over the hill. This time I'm not seeing grandma though. <laughs> and it, and it comes uh, to find out that just by chance your aunt lives. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Right in my neighborhood, basically. The next block over. Small world. It's really small. That's so crazy. How many times have I driven by here accidentally? Yeah, now that's even funnier. It's like, yeah, I was probably in here playing fuzz pedals and exactly. you're out driving around the neighborhood. It's like, by, wait, what's that sound? I hear it. I hear square waves. <laughs> I hear them somewhere. But, um, you know, a lot of the listeners know you've been sponsoring the podcast for a while <laughs> and they know, you know, I've talked about your products and what you do. But I think what might be more important is to get to. Uh, Get your backstory. You know, people don't just wake up one day and start, you know, making guitar parts for for a living. So, how did uh, how did that come to be? Um, you know, start start from way back. When did you first start playing and and all that? Well, I guess for the most part, I've always my family is very artistic and very all about doing things your own way. Um, so that's probably one of the 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 main thing that caused me to be partially where I'm here. Um, and then, you know, um, the second probably biggest focus and what really got me stuck on playing guitar is I kind of grew up with a mystery illness and, and I had a lot of free time, which guitar ended up, you know, making making that time go by so much quicker. Um, my start with guitar was when I was like 13 or 14. Um, I have an older brother who tried to play guitar uh, and my parents bought him everyone's favorite entry level guitar which is a slammer hammer oh yeah <laughs> yeah it actually wasn't that bad of a guitar no they're not um especially for its price but my brother really never it never stuck with my brother um so it ended up just kind of hanging out in his in his room for most of his life and then so when my brother would be at school i would go and sneak into his room and <laughs> and then you know turn the amp the tiny little dean dean amp up as loud as i can go and i would play and i'd learn Really, I caught on really quickly, and I really loved, loved it. it. It was also like that kind of time in your life where you really love music, and you really understand the importance of, of what music can do, and, and especially for for my circumstances of where I was at that time, it was like that one special thing. Um, where how that kind of changed into to later, I, I guess it's it's interesting as as more and more people are associating me with with guitar electronics and building guitar electronics. Mm-hmm. Um, I would classify myself more of a, a, a guitar builder or or more more or less a, a modder. Um, and, and that really kind of ties into kind of my experience with guitar. Um, so my brother found out that I was stealing his guitar and, and playing. Uh, he came home from school when he really shouldn't have. And uh, <laughs> exactly. I, right. I got in trouble that night. He didn't. Uh, so then my parents ended up buying me my very first guitar, which was a a first act, like the cheapest first act you can get. Mm-hmm. It was a Telecaster shape. Um, the most brutal guitar ever in the sense of it's it's truly unplayable uh, oh, no. i would <laughs> i would play it and then you'd end up with like just cuts on your hands from just how sharp those frets were mm-hmm. um so you know that was kind of the, also the start of like okay 
I'm going to try to make this a little bit better, just at least playable, because I didn't know if I could get another guitar. Um, and then eventually my parents kind of saw that, okay, that's really dangerous that he's playing that. Uh, so they bought me a Ibanez Geo, which um, I... I not saying it's a bad guitar, but it wasn't a guitar that fit me. And and quickly I was like, okay, I really don't like that guitar. And, and I, at that time I couldn't really define why I didn't like it. Mm -hmm. And then my parents ended up buying me a um, an Epiphone Les Paul standard type. It was technically a classic, so that's like the quilted top one. Right. And I really, I loved the shape of that. I loved the look on that, but I couldn't play it because what I ended later up found me out um, through my uncle, who's also like a super guitar geek, a geek um, is it's a thin neck. And I, I'm a tall guy, but back then I still wasn't really that tall, but my hands were gigantic. Mm -hmm. So I really needed that, that like super thick fifties, uh, like basal vat and or 59 neck. Mm -hmm. um, but when you try to explain that to my parents, um, it was a little challenging to be like, well, it's just because of the neck, which to them, they're not very, they like music, but they aren't musicians. So they don't really, they didn't grasp it at the time. And plus, uh, probably looking back as, as an adult, I'm like, they're probably still paying off the, the last guitar they bought for me. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. So, so at that point, you know, I didn't, I wasn't going to get any new guitars. And so my personality type is, is, you know, I, I roll with the punches is, and that was really when I started getting into um, what really makes a guitar a, a fun, playable guitar and, mm -hmm. and, and getting into setting up the guitar properly and, you know, how the action affects all the stuff. So I really got into modding in that sense. I wouldn't take modding sound-wise. That was kind of later on, but I got into kind of making a more playable guitar and I maxed those guitars out to the best of my ability with how limited my, my funds are. Um, and then somehow, it's really not that surprising if you know me, uh, I got <laughs> yeah, I got into building guitars and, and I begged and begged and begged my parents to buy me like a, a really nice guitar. Uh, one, it was unrealistic because my parents are, they're not, they're not the richest, but they're not like broke. So they couldn't really afford it, mm -hmm. but they really did try to help. Um, so they couldn't afford the guitar I want. So my buddy Curry, his dad built cabinets. So I had access to a shop and then somehow I was like, okay, you know, I think I can build it. Mm -hmm. And I ended up, you know, planning out every single detail. And I originally wanted to build a Les Paul standard, which it's funny nowadays thinking about it because the complexity of a Les Paul standard to build itself is pretty advanced. I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And for your first guitar, I don't think it's going to turn out pretty well. Um, it might. I don't know. But it didn't. And so I wanted a Les Paul because at the time that was my my favorite shape. And, and to this day, it's probably my top top two. SG mm -hmm. is number one. Um, and so I was like going through it. and I And I tend to be the person who... I think my favorite thing to do about when building something or just even doing anything is the physical planning side of it. Like I, I could spend the most of my time planning it to a, a weird detail that I can never actually achieve, but I, I know what I want to do. Right. Um, so I ended up doing that and I discovered cost wise, the Les Paul standard wasn't going to catch. It ended up being like, you know, $2,400 the way I wanted to do it, mm -hmm. which is no way. Uh, I, I figured out that my parents were 
were more likely to to let me build a guitar if I did it in small increments. So it's like I can buy a fretboard one one week or uh, wood for for a neck another week. So mm -hmm. it ended up being I ended up going through it and I factored in that the Les Paul Jr. was mm -hmm. the the shape I wanted and the build I wanted, and it ended up costing my parents probably like 30 bucks a, a week or maybe month. Not it's not so, too bad. No, yeah. not too bad at all. And and knowing myself, I knew it was gonna take me forever to do, uh, just because it's like, I've never done this. Um, so I did that, I, and that was my first experience with building. And I built that guitar over the next year and a half, maybe a little bit longer, because it ended up being, like I had a set budget that I could do. Uh, and then there's something like when you plan stuff, you can't really plan it perfectly. So then there's like the specialized tools that like, oh, this month means mm -hmm. I got to go buy a, a certain kind of file or a certain bit. So it takes me a little bit longer. Um, but right when I was about to finish, the only thing I had left to do um, was to basically set up the action. Um, my parents got a little bit of, a little bit of extra money um and at this time um to give more context my the because i i kind of grew up sick with this mystery illness i missed out on a lot of school and at this time i was 16 or 17. okay um and i had been out of school for about two years and that which is big especially like, during that time of the, your life oh absolutely yeah. there's a reason i apologize apologize if I meet people in, in person and I'm little kind of out there. It's because I'd spent a lot of time by myself. Um, but my parents wanted to use that that little extra money they got to kind of to kind of get me to go. Uh, at the time, they said it just to go back to school. Um, but then I was telling them the story that about how like that's one of that moments for that kind of changed my path for life. And they said it wasn't, wasn't just going back to school, but it was at that point, it was, um, again, we were talking about a formative life, is I didn't really, I had my set friends who were like, they're my friends for life, and, and I was just hanging out with one this past weekend. Mm -hmm. And and they would hang out with me periodically, and, and they also played music, so we'd all have a jam band, but I would never leave the house. And what they wanted to do with this guitar was, get me to go back to school and to graduate. And then also to kind of like push me out of my comfort zone mm -hmm. and and get me to go over to their houses to play music. I don't know if it's because they're, you know, they didn't might not have liked our music at that time. It's a little loud and and against their against, <laughs> <laughs> against my dad's James Taylorness. Right. Um, but it it was that kind of it was a really awesome thing. And we ended up finding a 2005 SG Faded that was one, a phenomenal guitar. I got really lucky with that guitar, and and two was in my my price range. Um, but to kind of segue it back into guitar building, um, right? I got the I got the the Gibson, and it played super super nice, and it felt so amazing, and I really liked it. And I I basically took all the measurements for string height. Um, the bridge height and everything, and I replicated it on that Les Paul Junior. Okay, got so it. So it played it played really really nice. Mm -hmm. And most people, when you were when you were to say, "Oh, that guitar was built by a 15 or or however old I was," they would be like, "Oh, that's that's funny," but that's it was true. Mm -hmm. um, but my this was probably because I got it right around 
end of school year, what would be people's school year and right around my birthday. Um, but every summer, my uncle came from, from town. He's from uh, Martinez, California. Shout out to Martinez fans, <laughs> all two of you. Yeah. Um, but he came up and he's he was one of those people who were really like, who helped me kind of grow as, as a guitar lover and explain to me a lot of times like why certain body shapes are, are the way they are. And, and he was someone I really looked up to. And so he comes up, brings up his custom Gibson custom shop, Les Paul. That was like, it, it was, it was so fancy. I don't even know if they did this or if this was like a custom made thing, but when you opened the case, mm -hmm. it had a light that went on the guitar. Oh, no way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I've never seen it since, or I don't know if it, he's also like slightly a, like a tinkerer himself. So he could have probably done it himself. Right. Um, but my parents, uh, trying to kind of, to kind of help me out and, and get me to, to, it sounds really weird and, and, and really bad, but like get me out of the bed. Cause a lot of times the way my sickness was is I would be fine for a couple hours and then I'd be really sick for another three hours and then I'd be fine. So a lot of times I would just end up staying in my bed and, and hiding behind books. Mm -hmm. Um, so my parents let, let me control the entire garage so they never parked their cars in the garage and they let me and my friends bring all their you know their drums their bass like a whole setup so you can do that and we even had like a little recording studio it was it was fun um but my uncle goes into to the garage and lets his his you know super high-end guitar out on the stand and the entire time he doesn't touch it the entire week he only plays my Les Paul Jr. And like the way the guitar, the, the garage was, was set up is you wouldn't, it, you could easily sneak in there without people knowing. Right. So, okay. so my, my uncle's like, like has the, the amp at like completely like at 10, like my neighbors probably hated us that week. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and he's playing my Les Paul Jr. And he's really getting into it. And, and it's like, it's like probably you probably do this all the time. I do this where, where when you, you play guitar and you, you know, you screw around with the controls, but then you like stop there and you look at it and you look at, he would look at the action. He'd look at the neck. He'd look at all these kind of parts of it. And he had this like big grin on his face. Mm -hmm. And it was like that first experience where something I I can make has such a distinct kind of impact on someone and, mm -hmm. and can create such a, a an awesome feeling in someone. And and that was probably one, I was probably always gonna have my own business. I come from a family who's like, that's what you do. You you know, you always wanna be businesses like the best part of life and it's a really fun experience to have your own um but i never had a definition of what i wanted to do uh and guitars was going to be that one thing that that was a, a clicking moment that was you. that clicking moment and yeah. that was like i technically wanted to be a guitar builder um and then wiring harnesses came in and later uh and came in after kind of interacting with the community um and and kind of came out of well one gun street was founded i should say gun street wiring shop gun street when I started Gun Street in 2015, it was technically Gun Street Guitar Emporium because mm -hmm. uh, I, I wanted to sell vintage guitars and, and have my own little aspect of that. But the the wiring harness was like the small side. I've always built wiring harnesses for kind of extra money, um, but I did it in a way that people really 
took on to it and and it kind of turned into its own unique thing mm-hmm. and and now it is what it is and and so far people are really liking it and it's really fun to do and it's really fun to interact with people because you always have your own idea of like what sounds cool right and then and then you interact with people who are like no no this is this is what sounds cool yeah everyone's got got their different ideas so so you, you the the wiring harnesses are so like you started out, you were going to sell some vintage guitars. That mm-hmm. kind of became the thing. Um, w- you know, when did, you know, what was your first wiring harness? That still is not, that's still kind of a, like most guitar builders don't, they might wire them up themselves, but they don't sell the harnesses. No. So like, how did that happen? So for most part, um, I spent a lot of my time on the Les Paul forum on the Luther's Corner. And a lot of times you would interact and you'd see people build their own uh, guitars and everything. And I always wanted to try that. So I started building my own guitars. And and at at start, I kind of understood how it worked. And, and I could I could copy a diagram very, very well. Um, but I've always been someone who's kind of very cautious about anything I do. And so I was like, okay, I'll just buy one. Because there is, at this time, you can find them on eBay. Mm-hmm. So... I bought it from some random guy, and and a lot of times, here's a kind of a, like a, a inside thing of the the wiring economy. If you want to get into it, um, is you have a wide spectrum of people who produce wiring harnesses. You have your your kind of on one side, your people who are just flat out copying diagrams and selling them as is, but have no grasp of why it actually works. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side, you have the people who are really passionate about it and, and can tell you every single detail um but the guy i bought from from on ebay uh i had a kind of just a generalized question on on how something worked and and luckily he was really cool about it he was kind of like well i really don't know how how to fix it or or how it really works i just flat out he's like he's like the person who i ended up kind of later being with just he did it for extra cash to pay for his other hobby. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's, you know, he flat out was like, I don't, I don't know. And so any kind of question I had for that person, he just couldn't answer it. So that was kind of the start of like, okay, if you're selling this, you really should know what you're doing. Um, and then I ended up, again, trying it else, still kind of got that on eBay. I ended up going through a guy on the Les Paul forum, and he was kind of like well known in the community. And and I, at that point, I could wire my own, and I was really good at wiring the set kind of simple like fifties or modern or or the volume bleed kind of stuff. That's easy. But then when it got to something like a really complex, I ended up buying it was the Jimmy Page harness, which even nowadays I I'm it's a pain. It is a complex harness, and and it it is I get where this the story. As as a business owner, I get where it can lead to where this is headed. Okay. Um, but so, I had issues with that harness, and then I contacted him. And I don't. It's been so long that I can't remember if like maybe I worded it wrong, or maybe it came off as me attacking. Um, but he kind of flat out was like, you know, I hate dealing with noobs. Like this is you shouldn't be doing this if you don't know what you're doing. And it, and it kind of like turned into this like really. I was it was really. I'm, I'm somewhat sensitive when it comes to that kind of stuff. It's like, one, I'm really trying to work. I'm sincerely trying to to improve myself and, and be better. But then you have someone who kind of just belittles it and makes you feel like, well, how 
it wasn't a very fun experience on both parties. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't condone and this that. This was the guy from the forum. Yeah, right? this was the guy in the forum, and this right. was the guy who in 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 the forum himself was like known for for being like this this prodigy of wiring, mm -hmm. and and it was sort like of a that guru type. He grew, yeah, and yeah. so it's it's like it's like that guru guru just completely insults you and says uh, and and tells you that you shouldn't be doing this, and that was kind of again that one where it's like now. After that guy, I'm gonna learn every single part I can. Mm -hmm. Like I want to know why that. And I ended up like the troubleshooting. I figured it out and what it was, and it was an accident. And and it was one of those ones where it's like it's a really complex harness, and it's really easy to screw up. Mm -hmm. Like it's really and and coming from it from a business side and and doing this full time, like there's stuff that happens, you know. And and this guy was actually doing it for part time. Like he had his own job and on free time, he would still do it. Mm -hmm. And so it, like, there's so many variables that it's like, I don't blame him for it breaking because it's, or not breaking, but not working because it's it's really easy to screw up. The only thing I have like negative context towards is just- The conversation. The conversation, yeah. don't don't be nice to everyone. Mm -hmm. And and I guess, and that also is, is kind of tied into Gun Street now is, is more of, I really want to help people. I want to, if you're my 15 year old self, I want to help you out as much as I can. And and that's also why like I go above and beyond when instructions like I have my diagram and and there's that and it shows you how to, to install the pickups. But I also want to do, you know, I also have my online instructions that show you step by step. Mm -hmm. uh, and then eventually on some of these things, we already have like a troubleshooting. So it's like I really want to help out as much as I can out of that kind of that experience of dealing with with him um and then another thing that kind of led into gun street or at least um the the way i wire and i sell wiring products is um in the forum it was right in the beginning of like when uh people were going crazy over matched pots and paper and oil capacitors mm -hmm. and how those were absolutely phenomenal and i saved up a ton of money and bought a kit from a, a well-known person and i installed it and it was like that biggest like want want moment. Oh no. no! You know what I mean? Like, and then I was like, okay, well, is it just like my guitar or anything? And then it kind of got into this point where, and and Cole from the Gear Slum mm -hmm. recently made a comment about it, like how there's a side of the wiring mark that really charge you for slightly mojo, and I hated that because I had that feeling, and I I got to the point where it's like when I build products. I really try to be as realistic as I can about one telling you I'm not going to claim that I sprinkle. I might I might put scent in the box. There's that's still being debated <laughs> on the forums. I'm not going to confirm nor deny that. Um, but I I really want to give you the most unbiased opinion on that. Um, and and before you know I should probably do a disclaimer <laughs> the views and opinions are my own and not gun sheets um, but like there's nothing wrong with match pots and in certain situations match pots are are a good thing to do and then especially again paper and oil capacitors there's nothing wrong with them um, and they do they sound phenomenal when you get a really nice paper and oil capacitor um, but what I was kind of referring to is at least in the Les Paul form there was the 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 selling of like in, the paper and oil is what caused the sound, right? Yeah, and and and, like and the construction of it is construction what is what it is the mojo, mm -hmm. and and it's not necessarily accurate per se. Um, 
what really and hopefully people are you know all capsers coming on they're, yelling they're, at they're me. thinking about they're it. thinking about they're it. thinking about uh, it. exactly yeah. he's wrong um what makes a really nice quality capacitor is is how accurate it reads and it's like you can have a, a cap that says it's supposed to be like a Les Paul when it would be like a zero, a point zero two two, but it actually might measure something like a point zero seven or even like a point four seven. It's not necessarily what makes a high quality part of high quality is the tolerance and how that. And a lot of times people misunderstand that what makes the sound so much better is the physical. Um, is is not not the mojo but the actual, like the actual parts. construction the actual construction yeah and and that even goes down to um i mean there's a lot of it like the verse american pots versus metric pots and there is some theory behind it and there is a little bit of, a little bit of tribalism but my goal is i've tried to stay out of it mm-hmm. even though it's really hard to not be like no 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 don't please don't attack this the reason is that so i i my approach with Gun Street was kind of being really real, realistic. I offer a really wide spectrum of of things because I want to deal with everyone in the community, not the select few. Mm-hmm. I want to I want to sell to my 15 year old self, or I want to sell to that person who just is starting to get in. Um, I guess it also kind of ties back to is is in my head, guitars kind of really saved saved my life in per se. Right. Is it's I was in being sick probably the first 23 years of my life um it, it kind of limits your outlook on on the rest of life mm-hmm. and and guitar was one of that one thing that was like gave me hope and and it was also like that like the social interaction of being in the community was like the the best part of it mm-hmm. so my goal is is kind of like any way i can help other people out in no matter your skill level is is the best part of of building products um but kind of long segue back to what you're referring to um (laughs) is is so when i started out gun street selling guitars i've always had that premise of 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 building those harnesses and that's when i build a harness that's where i come from um but it really took off like people really like that people like that you know it's very user-friendly it's people like that i'm not like up, upping my price because of of being you know I'm not putting that in so it started out with with me doing partial guitars partial wiring harnesses and 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 then for only till recently I was working full time um, at a different job and and Gun Street was kind of like my my passion project my I'm, passion like yeah. this is I mean to this day Gun Street is probably solely passion um, but. As as it kind of it turned out is, I no longer could search for get vintage guitars to sell, because most of my free time was going into building the wiring harnesses. Gotcha. Because the demand the, for those it, went up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then it ended up going to the demand was so big that I had to cut my hours at my work. Mm-hmm. And then and then the demand got to to the point where it's like, okay, I only can focus on. Uh, on wiring harnesses, mm-hmm. I feel I have my business model for my vintage guitar that I'm gonna save for later. Right, and, and you'll have another <laughs> another one, different different tone mob uh, episode. There we go, uh, perfect. Um, but for the most part, Gun Street is gonna be just you know the Gun Street wiring shop and and the whole kind of morality that comes with that. Hi, I'm Vincent, and I'm here to talk about the Maris Mercury X. X. 
My dad's always going on and on about how cool Maris is. He really went off on one about the Mercury X the other day. He said something about a 4,800 hertz sample rate and 99 preset locations in 33 banks and something along the lines of the most advanced reverb pedal ever devised by man? That's all true, but I only care about one thing. This pedal sounds sick. So make sure you check out the Mercury X and all the other fine products at maris.us, as well as fine retailers worldwide. All right, Dad, now can I have my pocky? How exactly do artists get their music on Spotify, Apple Music, Deezer, Tidal, all these services? How in the world do you get your music there? Well, in the past, you had to use something called a record label. But these days, you can use DistroKid. DistroKid is the absolute easiest way to get your music up on streaming services. And it's the most affordable way to do so. Not only do plans start at $22.99 for the entire year, that's less than 2 bucks a month, DistroKid also does not take a cut of your streaming revenue, unlike some other services out there. Even better if you sign up by going to ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. That's ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. One more time, that's ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. You'll get 30% off. That's right, 30% off. They're already extremely reasonable prices. So go to ToneMob.com slash DistroKid and get your music out there. So you started, uh, like you said, you were on the Les Paul forum, mm-hmm. and you are a big Gibson guy. Big Gibson. Um, Gibson for life. For life. Whoa. For life. No, that's a lie. I like Fenders now. <laughs> just just like as of last week? As of about two months ago. Yeah, I really like Fenders. I, I finally got my first Telecaster. That was a, a experience. And then a Jaguar, mm-hmm. also experience. Is that what, I'm assuming that's what made you start making harnesses for those uh, as well. Kind of. It's more of... I don't like making things based off of just like uh, off of diagrams. Like I like to like know what fits. So I ended up like people were requesting Telecaster harnesses. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, if I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna go buy. I bought two two Squire uh, uh, Telecasters identical, and I used one for for really a teardown to kind of get most of the measurements, and I did another one for for instructions. Mm-hmm. Um, and those were sweet guitars. They have like doesn't matter what you what the price range was. They sounded so fun to play. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, those also have massive falling. And then same with the Jaguar. I originally actually was gonna get the Jaguar to start doing harnesses, but that ended up being not as much requested as Jazzmasters, but they're relatively similar. And I ended up getting a Jazzmaster pickguard to do that. Gotcha, gotcha. But it was main main reason was people are asking for it. Yeah. And I really try to help. If people are asking for something, I'm really, I sincerely listen to my customers and I sincerely want to, I want to help out as much as I can. Mm-hmm. Give the people what they want. Exactly. Right. Good times. So what is uh, interesting, Let's maybe we need to talk about some of your musical influences because sometimes when, since we've already talked off microphone a lot, uh-huh. I most of the people that I remember remember us talking about, I don't picture them as Gibson guys, really. No, you and know. So, like, maybe talk about some of your your musical influences and and because, like, 
you don't just fall in love with the guitar generally. You fall in love with the music and then the guitar. I guess that's the case. But I also, it could be the fact that my very first legit guitar was that SG. Mm-hmm. And then ever since then. But I mean, you are kind of true. Most of like Tom Waits is a huge, huge love of mine. And he plays, um, he plays a bunch of guitars, but yeah, one of his go-to of is his Dan Electrico. Mm-hmm. And, and that is his and has that unique sound. And then the another one, oh, okay, I'll give you another experience that maybe why um the very first quote-unquote rock band i got onto mm-hmm. was the doors okay and and robbie krueger played a 61 if i believe uh it was it was a 61 style sg or technically last paul i may right. be wrong it's <laughs> right. been too many years um so that was another one where it's like um i love that shape but for the most part you you were kind of right. It's most of my influences. Uh, Violent Femmes. I was a big Violent Femmes fan growing up. Um, all about the angst. Uh, <laughs> Gordon Gano played a Thin Line Telecaster. Who else? I mean, again, you, you are. I never really thought about that. Most of my influences never did play the guitars I ended up playing. No, yeah, it's a the you know the Les Pauls and the the SGs and stuff. They're very much associated with classic rock and. And blues to some degree, not so much. Seems like you have a lot more sort of uh, alternative type leanings. Yeah. You know, uh, we talked about obviously we talked about Tom Waits. We were talking about Modest Mouse earlier. Yeah. You know, and uh, what, what did you say? It was your my cousin. Your cousin. My cousin played in. I can't remember what his band's now, but his the band changed into uh, the Dave. Was it the Dave Depper uh, experience? The guy's still around. He recently did. Um, a, a re-recording of uh, Paul McCartney's Ram. Okay. And so he was a big band, but he ended up touring with Modest Mouse before they they were getting big, but they weren't like over the top. Um, I also, I probably say most of my musical experience and in, in my love, and especially for, for proto-punk, and, and I should just say punk in general, uh, comes from my cousin Max um, and him. My, my dad won an iPod. Uh, first generation iPod and we had no music and and my parents music is either the Beatles or my dad loves James Taylor like I mean the most kind of weird not consistent (laughs) musical influences at all Um, and so we ended up giving to my cousin Max and he filled it up with with this just eclectic music and I guess that's where although I will say a very punk-esque guitar is a Les Paul Jr. oh well that's for sure I will give you that one yes I think, you know, now, you know, kind of processing it, I think most of my love for Gibson comes from, from guitar building. Cause in, in sense, Gibson's at least, at least Les Paul's were beautiful, beautifully designed guitars and, and that really beautiful, thick maple top. Mm-hmm. Um, but also on the same side, Fender's were, Leo Fender and the way he manufactured guitars was just like, I mean, that's, the way amount of energy engineering that came it was just brilliant so i i also have that aspect but now i now i'm questioning everything <laughs> that's what i, that's what I do crisis going on right I now make, i make people question <laughs> themselves and everything they thought they knew exactly uh no it's just uh it's just interesting to to hear because you know sometimes i've i've found that these things don't make a lot of sense no like um i mean i liked i liked gibson you know from day one because my dad said that he liked Gibson, but he doesn't really play electric guitar very often. He plays acoustic primarily. So why did I fall in love with the Les Paul so hard? I don't really know. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, when I was 
you know, young, a lot of the metalcore bands that I liked were playing Les Pauls and Les Paul Customs, and a lot of the punk bands I liked were playing Les Paul Juniors, but I I don't know. It didn't really make a lot of sense because I just decided one day that I liked Les Pauls, and, and then when I got one, I was like, well, look at me. I'm a Gibson guy. <laughs> exactly. Like, that's just what I am. But, I mean, I loved country music and, that, you know, you know, love Waylon Jennings growing up. Waylon Jennings is definitely my dad's favorite artist. And like that, he plays a Telecaster. Yeah. But my dad said he was a Gibson man. So yeah. I thought, well, I must be a Gibson man too. <laughs> you know, that just makes sense. Um, it's in here to think. It is. It must be. <laughs> but as I, you know, as I've gotten older and like played more and more electric guitars, it's like, it didn't take me very long to figure out that it, I just like electric guitars. That's, <laughs> I think that's the key. I, I like electric guitars and, and I even like individual guitars. Like we were talking about this earlier. It's like, there's certain guitars that like, uh, I think we were talking about this. I, I talk we, about this a lot. We, we've been talking about a lot of things. Exactly. So. Uh, and even if you get into like a prime example is my, my 2005 SG faded. I have, it's a cheap guitar. So there's a lot of them mm-hmm. and I've gotten the opportunity to play a lot of them. And there's something about mine that is so much better. Like the play, the way it plays, the way, I guess the way it sounds is now changed to me being me and, and it's been redone through every screw. Um, but the way it plays is relatively the same. And I think that's the, the biggest thing about guitars itself is it really, def- it's defined by the individual guitar, not necessarily by the shape. Mm-hmm. And it takes a while to learn or, or to to love. You love the general shape, but there's that one guitar that really makes or breaks it. Yeah, and it's, it's weird too, because sometimes you have an idea of what you think you want. And then, it, you know, I, I like, for instance, uh, my telly, I... I always thought when I get a Telecaster, I'm going to get a Telecaster. It's going to have a maple neck. It's going to be the standard traditional Telecaster. And the more I played those, and I do like them, the more I played them, it's like, no, I'm really stuck on like rosewood necks (laughs) or fretboards rather like two humbuckers. That's pretty much all I have except for the millimetric, which is walnut and feels very similar. Like everything's rosewood. And I think it's, I think I am stuck on that because I played lots of tellies and liked lots of them, but, I like my Tilly Custom the best. And part of it has to do with like it's rosewood and then it has a humbucker in the neck. So it's <laughs> like, like uh, just, I, I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a weird thing. What we, what we grow attached to. Cause exactly. I, I thought I had a pretty good variety, but the, it was like a few months ago. I was looking like, Nope, all dark necks around here. No, uh, I, I will say, so my wife gives me crap all the time. Cause I will buy buy guitars, whether I'll buy guitars for myself or, or buy guitars for Gun Street to use for either reference or, or instructions. Um, but I tend to buy, I think I have four less Paul shaped guitars, mm-hmm. uh, two Telecasters. I have, I mean, I tend to buy things in threes. Okay. And they are relatively, it's like, they they are different. We'll say that, but they're always the same. And, and it's probably kind of what you say is mm-hmm. no matter how much you try to go against the grain, it ended up just going to what you like. And I guess that's, I think that's the biggest thing about guitar and, and anything you do in guitars. Does it, do you like it? And if you like it, then what's wrong with the way you choose? I, I mean, there, there isn't anything. I mean, no. I'll, I'll make fun of people who use the Helix all day long, but I'm not serious about it. No. Like, it works and it sounds good and it works for you. That means that that is the right answer. Some people like want to like make sure that they, have the right thing. I'm like, well, does it do you like how it sounds? 
does it does it play like you want? Does it do the thing you're trying to do? If the answer is yes to all those, then that's the right one. And it doesn't matter if it costs $20 or if it costs $2,000. If it is something that works for you, it works for you. And what I say about it doesn't really matter. No, exactly. And that and, and that also comes down to to a lot of times with with uh, guitar wiring too. Is a lot of people will, will tell me, it's like, oh, well, I'm only supposed to do this. I was like, no, no, no. You can do whatever you want. The guidelines say you should do... Uh, give you a reference of something like is is um 500k pots versus 200k pots mm -hmm. and people say okay well 500k you're supposed to use for humbuckers 200k you're supposed to use for for single coils i mean you could use either or you could even use one mag pots it really comes down to defining of how do you define your sound mm -hmm. what is your your thing and do you like it that's the key is do you like it and if you if you like it then why not right well, and that's, it's hard. It's really funny, especially with the single coil thing. I've heard that. Yeah, 200K with single coils. I'm like, well, P90 is a single coil. Yeah. But it sounds different than my Tele single coil or, you know, my Supro inspired ones in the Roni. Uh, it's like, those are all single coils. Yeah. And, and, all and that's a 500K in the, in, in the volume. Mm -hmm. Pa is a 500K and then a 200K in the tone. Right. So that's also like, that goes against the grain. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like, what is the right answer? The right answer is, does it sound good? Exactly. Yeah. Do you like it? Mm -hmm. Then good. Yeah. I, I I mean, there's something to be said for, like, if you're trying to, you know, keep a vintage guitar as original true. as possible. Very true. That's a little different, though. If you're trying to keep it vintage, it's like, be very cautious about what you do. Mm -hmm. Don't just, it is, it, uh, I have a hard time being for again i'm i i like buying vintage vintage guitars mm -hmm. and my favorite is fender broncos well fender broncos are are still kind of like the underdogs and you can still get them cheap um but the parts are worth more than the guitar itself so oh, really? I, yeah so i'm like that person who like i want to save every single one so i at one point i had like four or five mm -hmm. and and i looked like a madman um just hoarding them all i'm not getting them out mm -hmm. um but a lot of times like especially with the vintage it's like respect that vintage instrument like that is is something that's made it this long let's keep it as as close as we can to keep it going so someone else can have another experience with it that's one thing that i've i found kind of amazing uh this is this is this is related i promise even though it sounds a little <laughs> bit weird I remember reading a thing one time that said like Taylor Guitars was was producing 600 guitars a day. And I'm like thinking to myself, that's a lot of guitars. Um, and guitars, as long as they're like even slightly properly maintained, they don't, they don't, they last more than one lifetime. Yeah. Like I've always thought that's kind of like, that's a lot of guitars that was like, where I, I still not discovered the answer to it. But like, where are they going? Yeah. Where are they? Like, 600 guitars a day is a lot, and that's just one company. I one mean, company, we're yeah. Talking, we, we got Fender, Gibson, PRS, plus all the hundreds of smaller builders. It's like, and then the there's that those couple Korean companies that produce a ton of guitars for, for everyone. Like, yeah, different designers, basically. Um, which I I think that's kind of cool because it lets people who would not be able to have a company, have a company sometimes. And most of the guitars I played out of that, I wish I could name it, remember the factory name. I think Chapman, Chapman Guitars uses that Ch same factory. It's Cha like Chapman, Duesenberg, Reverend, like a bunch of guys. I know, yeah, it's this, there's, there's in Korea, there's two, but, uh, I can't remember. but they're, they're like generally really good. No, absolutely. And that's <laughs> another thing is, is especially in nowadays market. I recently, so Gun Street will make 
guitar builds, like we call them shop builds. And it's just where we get to have a little bit of fun and, and, and mod guitars in, in my own kind of like what I would do in real life, but uh -huh. I get to do it through Gun Street. Right. Uh, and we picked up a $99 Squire. And to compare that $99 Squire to my $99 first act, 20 years ago oh, right. or, or set amount of years ago yeah, it's yeah. like night and day and it's a legit nice guitar and it's, it's a good start and and like i'm slightly jealous that i didn't get to start out on that and maybe maybe it would have been in the situation was well yeah you probably wouldn't have looked to improve it yeah exactly that's, that's, that's fine true. but no i've i've talked about that a lot like the level of quality at the top end has gone up some mm -hmm. but the level of quality on the low and mid-level instruments now compared to like 10 15 years ago is crazy like squires across the board now if you go pick up a squire it's gonna play pretty good probably and if not it's a couple of tweaks away like it's exactly. very unlikely that you get a garbage guitar out of squire i think we only ended up spending like 280 bucks it was still cheaper than getting a vintage modified and that thing plays it plays like american american made strat and it was fun to build. I also, I'm also that person who was like, given the choice between a guitar that I'm allowed to mod, right, or a guitar that is like super expensive, I'm gonna go for the guitar that's mod. Because when it comes to it's expensive, it's like, it's at that point to me, it's like an art. It's like an art art piece that like you just kind of want to look at. You don't really want to actually play, but you want to just say, hey, look at that in the corner there. That looks really pretty. <laughs> so in, yeah. at the same time, I love playing that kind of that. I love playing modded guitars just because they are they're they're throwaway in a way, but they're also like they are characters. They are unique, and you 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 like playing them. I feel like maybe you're almost a little uncomfortable playing the higher instruments. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. If it comes down to like, I'm already like I don't like touching other people. I was trying. I was playing your Les Paul Junior. I'm like I don't want to touch this. I was like, but, Sean, play it. Play, play I'm the, like, no, play no, 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 no. Please don't. Please like, don't play that guitar. Do it. <laughs> you can't make me. Um, but it comes down to is like any kind of high end something like that is it is that idea of like it is the, the elite it is it is something that is is a, and essentially a meme of itself okay and 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 a lot of times i don't want to touch it because it is it's not in my head is it's not it's not a real guitar it's it's this idea of like you don't really want to drive a ferrari every single day you can if you want but the value of it's different that's a that's an interesting viewpoint. Like, yeah, if once you do have kind of the the special thing, you can't help but get a little bit less special if it's something you you do on a regular basis. Yeah, yeah, that that does make sense. Like that the Ferrari analogy is probably pretty good. Like if you asked me because just because if you would ask me ten years ago if I wanted to drive a Ferrari every day, I'd be like absolutely. Yeah, and now it's like no. That no. would get uncomfortable, and then you'd be worried about it, and then like somebody would key it, and you're like, "Oh no, my Ferrari!" And like, yeah, like not twenty thousand dollars later. Yeah, not that I have the option to drive a Ferrari every day, but even if I did, that wasn't I, your Ferrari out front? No, no, that wasn't mine. No, <laughs> oh, that was the neighbor. That was the neighbor. Oh, Slash is coming here. Oh, that's right, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'm making him wait though. There you go. He's. He, I feel so special. He texted me. He was just trying to come in early. I told him he has to sit out there and wait. <laughs> so. Anyway, um, let's see. What's some other stuff we should talk about? We've talked, we talk a, a bunch, and we talked a bunch today. We should have just had lapel mics on. All oh, there day. you go. That would have been classy. Um, talk about food. Yeah, well, we're, we're going we're gonna to talk about food. That's later, towards the end. Yeah, we we're, we're, we still got more ground to cover. 
But um, so I kind of made reference to it, and you talked about Tom Waits. But who are some of your your artists you you like, like or draw inspiration from? So as I've as, as a teen, I was really obsessed with like punk music. I loved Richard Held and the Voidoids. Um, and then I got into like the, the no wave scene, be like James Chanson in the Contortionists mm-hmm. and Contort Yourself. I loved that album. Um, and then as I got older, my influences kind of shifted as like more and more I interacted with different people. And then I started getting like dating other girls who like had like they liked indie music. So then all of a sudden I went from obsessed with punk and then okay i liked indie music i like we were talking about modest mouse uh the shins um oh man grizzly man two Mm -hmm. weeks was like one of my favorite i put that on repeat forever um i love that and then uh i got into the bend culture of of my era which was we'll just say it was a lot of reggae Okay. <laughs> uh, and got into that kind of community. And then I ended up loving kind of like, um, I believe they call it technically it's ska, like original 60s ska. Okay. Um, and I really love kind of that, that offbeat. And then I ended up meeting my wife. Uh, and she is all over the board um, with music. And, and she's one of those people who's who... Like I love, like she's amazing and she's unapologetic about anything she does. Mm-hmm. And uh, for the longest time, I like there's certain music that I wouldn't let in my car, like any kind of Taylor Swift. I couldn't, I, I nothing against Taylor Swift or anything, but it just I'd never enjoyed that. And it was more like okay, I started listening to more whatever she was listening to. So I ended up getting to you know that kind of poppy music, um, rap. I was never really into rap. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love love that kind of style and then ended up doing that and then i kind of hit to that point where i just went back to the classics and that's where i again i'm i love tom waits i still love a lot of my kind of like you know the dead kennedys the misfits um that kind of classic punk Mm -hmm. um and, and kind of, I'm all over the board. It's hard to really define myself because <laughs> if you were if you were to find my Spotify list, it's like uh, I had my my one playlist which was I called Proto, and it used to be all my my favorite Proto punks. And then as as time shifted, it's all of a sudden you have um um like Childish uh, Gambino in there, and you have mm-hmm. Redbone and This Is America, or you have you know Snoop Dogg, Gin and Juice, uh, or even all the way to to uh, Kanye West, Jesus Walks. Like it's all over the board and and it's not really defined and it's it's kind of one of those ones where it's like helped me one it helps me appreciate because it's like it's really easy to be like oh well this one style of music sucks over the all the other but it's still someone so passionate creating something mm-hmm. and i i guess that's that's where my life kind of taught me it's like no it's someone it's no different than any music you listen to We are brought to you today by Sweetwater, specifically the Gear Exchange. You may have heard about this. This is a place where you can go to buy and sell your used gear. Maybe you got a pedal over there that's just kind of collecting dust. Maybe there's something you've been eyeing from the Sweetwater catalog. Well, right now is a great time to turn that unused gear into something you're actually going to use. Even better, if you sell on the Gear Exchange, you can keep 100% of the sale as long as you choose a Sweetwater gift card 
as your payout method. That is not too shabby, because let's be honest, most of this buying and selling we do is just to fund new gear purchases, and that is a great way to reach a wide variety of customers and keep 100% in your pocket, or rather, on your pedal board. So go check out the Sweetwater Gear Exchange and turn that unused gear into something that's actually going to help you write that next huge riff. It's true. It is. It's a lot easier to put our own, you know, sort of artists that we like up on a pedestal and be like, "No, these are the good ones." You're all and, wrong. And you He's guys, number one. Yeah, like, like you don't know what you're talking about. Tom I do it all the time, honestly, and I do it very publicly, especially with a lot of bro country stuff. Yeah, I, I, I have a hard time buying that there's a lot of passion in the Friday Night Moonlight stuff. <laughs> but uh, you know, somebody did have to spend time creating it, so I guess I can appreciate that. But um. I, I I was very critical of things that I really had no business critiquing, you know, as a teenager. It was like, that band's terrible. That band's oh, yeah. for girls. That band's X, Y, Z. And it's like, what was I really talking about? Yeah. Like, I didn't know what I was talking about. I had no... I was trying to show off. Yeah, exactly. That's what I feel like. I was trying to show off. I had no, like, experience to draw off of to decide whether somebody was good or not, like... I just decided that they weren't screaming, so they weren't good. Well, and I also found that, like, a lot of the bands I loved as a kid, like, really, like, I, I was obsessed with the Violent Femmes, and I still love the Violent Femmes, and, and even past, most people's experience with Violent Femmes is their first debut album, but they have a lot of phenomenal other albums past that, but sometimes when I listen to it, it's a little too angsty for my, my adult, because <laughs> I'm like, man, I was so whiny. Right. Like, it's like, it's like, okay. As as much as I love the music, I'm just like I, I can't listen to it. Sometimes it's it's still kind sometimes of like sometimes like get over it, dude. Yeah, yeah. Like come on. I'm sorry you're having a bad day, but it was kind of your own fault, right? And you need to grow up and get over exactly. It. <laughs> do you need some ice cream? Yeah, I I I do. I, I fortunately like most of the bands that I really really loved as a teenager. I have held up for me for the most part. There's a few that I'm like, what was. What was I listening to? Like, <laughs> like, I don't know about that. But for the most part, I still really like, you know, any of the ones I was really passionate about. I They've stuck with me for for the most part. Um, um, Thrice being the most notable example that I won't shut up about. I don't, I don't, I'll try to stop talking about them. But That's like, right. I, I have those people. It's a, uh, it's, but that was a, you know, a big influence. And I, all this time, I like, I'm still trying to figure out 
and I talked about this on the episode with the Ryan from Fuzzerocious, but I'm trying to figure out why it took me like so many years to get a baritone. Like that's one of my favorite bands, and I finally got a baritone. Like that doesn't make any sense. Uh, another, I guess, another one of my influences in, in music I absolutely love. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I play guitar, I actually play uh, is like a Delta Blues, mm-hmm. and that's one of those guitars. Where I'm like, I really should. If I always play in, in D, it's like that would probably sound really awesome. Mm-hmm. And it's more comfortable. Yeah, it's just like, oh, this guitar was made for this tuning instead of me forcing another guitar into. Wait, you're not supposed to hear the strings hit the frets? Well, that's what I'm told. I I don't know. I thought that was the sound. Yeah, for years, that's how I did it. Exactly. Just tune it down. It'll be fine. (laughs) Don't change string gauges. Just tune it on down. It'll be okay. Um, But no, having that baritone is like, it really has changed. Uh, And I definitely play, play it way different than any of my other guitars. I'm just much more riffy with it than than my other stuff. I, I find that it's easier for me to write or play cooler cool riffs on baritone than it is in standard. I, I don't know why. That's another thing I've, I've, I've realized getting away from Gibson's guitars mm-hmm. is is how certain guitars want to make you want to play a certain way. Yeah. And, and more times, like, the Jaguar, I end up trying to I play a little more rockabilly or a little surf rock as much as I can because I really can't, but I try. Mm-hmm. But it's just like the idea of like there's a certain sound that's associated with that and it makes you want to play differently other than your normal kind of style. It oh, it really does. Um, that Rickenbacker, I talked about it early on and I haven't talked about it as much lately, but strangely, I don't play that guitar like, like most other people play Rickenbacker's. Like they, they think of them as jangle machines and that's what I thought of them as initially. And I don't do anything but like heavy fuzz, like very aggressive stuff on the Rickenbacker. I don't, it, I don't know why it makes me play that way. Like that's what I want to play when I plug it in. If I try to play the clean jangly stuff, it it's like, this isn't even the guitar that I like to do that <laughs> on. It doesn't sound as good to me. Um, just Beatles covers every time. That's what that's what I associated with. It. That's <laughs> what I really thought I was gonna do, and I got it, and I'm just like, bah, 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 just doing all this. Didn't this uh, other stuff. Oasis have a Rickenbacker? I I don't I can't know. Remember. I didn't. I that's not a band it, I, I also ever remi- paid any attention to. It, I see. I, I have with Rickenbackers. I have two two sensations. It's one is the Beatles guitar, mm-hmm. even though it's like saying the Hoffmer bass is just the Beatle bass. Um, but it's also I remember that being like a really big guitar for 90s kind of um what do you want to call that like surf alt okay i'm not I'm not quite following you i'm not like what kind of bands i'm trying to th- i'm trying like now and now i'm being on the spot i'm like oh panic um i i want to say like oasis had one um i just also remember that just being like you know like just that 90s trying to be the 60s band. Okay, gotcha, Those style, gotcha, and gotcha. they ended up playing that, and then you got some some sweet tones out of that. And at least that one in the 12-string version. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're, they're a good time. And and what's weird about it, too, is I a lot of, like, Rickenbacker purists, they're like, oh, you got to get the one with the toasters in it. That's, that's the one. And I've played them with the toasters, and I'm, you know, maybe this is, you know, treason, but I like the, <laughs> I like the high gains better. And I find it hilarious that they're called high gains because they're so so low output, even and even compared to like toasters are extra low output. And I I'm I'm definitely not the guy chasing the hottest pickups. I I tend to like pretty low output pickups, but those are like the the toasters were too too low for me. Um, I like the high gains, and I know they don't sound quite the same, but they feel better to me. And that's all that matters. Do you like it? 
That's you true. like it. I That's do like it. That's all that matters. I do like it quite a bit. Screw the haters. <laughs> Got them haters. <laughs> so we already ate pizza today. So, um, I, but I and we've talked about it briefly, but we are getting close to that point in the episode where we would discuss what your favorite kind of pizza is. It's the, the one made of pizza. Any kind of pizza. I love anything that has cheese, sauce, and bread. Mm -hmm. I will eat, and I'll eat by the handful. Mm -hmm. So I will say all the pizzas to be safe. Wow. Um, like, I control like people. I still want to troll people. Like, you know what the best pizza of all time is? What? It's pineapple. No, it's not. It's. Are you sure? I'm positive. Are you positive? I'm positive. <laughs> I have checked. Uh, I, You know, I love, again, I don't like pineapple pizza. For the record, I, that, I love pineapple, but don't put it on pizza. Um, I don't know. I like a nice, nice, really cheesy, kind of saucy, really good bread or dough uh, pizza. I whether the toppings are your pizza was actually really nice mm -hmm. uh, with the pepperoni and, and uh, pepperoncinis. Yes. that was a good pizza. Um, but I'm I'm not picky when it comes to pizza. If it's mm -hmm. pizza, I'm gonna eat it. Well, that, if it's food, I'm gonna eat it. Yeah, I hear that. I I'm I'm not I'm picky with where I will choose to go get pizza. Like if it's if it's if I have the option to pick, like I'm gonna pick certain places over other places. But if it's like here's here's the little Caesars, I'm like okay, all right, little Caesars is good. It's five dollars. You're gonna regret it tomorrow, but you're gonna love it. Yeah, it, I mean you, it, it's you can't compare it to some sort of like you know legit Italian wood fired thing or a real like New York slice or whatever. But it's not like you put it in your mouth and like, ew, this cheese and bread <laughs> and sauce is sure terrible. It's like, this tastes pretty good. It's, fine. it's yeah. pizza. It's pizza. That said, used to get this pizza from uh, from this place in Portland because it was the only place that would deliver to my work. Oh, God. And so they would get it occasionally. And I got to be honest, like, that's like the only pizza I've turned down. <laughs> I've I've gotten I've got it before and then sometimes I would just take it and I just slide all the toppings off and then just throw the crust in the garbage because it was terrible. Like I've had better frozen pizzas. It was bizarre. I guess I ha I've had one pizza and, and I'm kind of shameful of this um, that had like it was a giant pizza mm -hmm. and and we bought it for work and everyone's supposed to eat it but it had like the soapy taste to it. That's kind of what this had. Going yeah, right. On. And yeah. I'm like, okay, was it the the pot itself? Um, and no one's gonna eat it, and so I just I ate it myself, mm -hmm. and I wasn't enjoying it. <laughs> but you're not gonna just leave pizza out to not be eaten. I think I did take it home. I, I this pizza that I'm talking about, and I'm not gonna be slamming it, the local business that you everyone support can local, buy. by the way. Yeah, that's right. They can uh, they can find out for themselves. But uh, it was pizza that I would have left on the table. And that's saying something <laughs> for me. Like it was like dry and like I'm like this crust is just something's wrong with the crust. It's it's it was like powdery and weird. Do you and, ever do it dip it in ranch? No. See that's where like if it's a really bad pizza, like my wife loves the frozen pizzas. Like it's one of those guilty pleasures. She's like she knows for a fact that it's like <laughs> don't judge her for it she's like i know i'm embarrassed myself but she loves it from from her own i think like, from being like in college right? yeah exactly i think it was from being in college and mm -hmm. it was either ramen or, or or cheap pizzas right um so whenever she buys those i'm like okay do we have ranch because i think that's the only way i can actually eat those pizzas without <laughs> like kind of like gagging a little bit so i i'll i will 
dip that. I will have pizza with my ranch. Yeah. I think I would just have to I think I would just have to pass all <laughs> I'm not a big ranch dressing fan. Uh so it would like make it it would almost make it worse, I think, for me. Potentially. But, I just don't like don't waste food. Yeah, that's right. I'm, just, <laughs> I, I'm big on that. I do not like to see food go to waste, even if I'm not a big fan of it. But at the same time, that or put hot sauce too. So like I can't sauce. taste. I can't taste it in the end. There you go. That's a good solution. <laughs> I could hose something down with some, uh, some I don't know, some Franks or something. Exactly. And, and call it, that 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 can rescue a that can rescue just about anything, except maybe ice cream. Maybe I don't know. Let's try this. Uh, funny story. So we're trying to. I had a dog who she liked to get up on our counter mm-hmm. and we ended up reading um hopefully this doesn't offend people um reading that a good way to get your dog to not get up on the counter and eat food is put hot sauce on on something that she will smell it and be like okay you don't want to get it mm-hmm. so we ended up getting okay i had frank hot sauce i love buffalo wings like i will eat those mm. every day of my life um my especially when i'm sick i will always want buffalo wings mm-hmm. um so we ended up trying frank's hot sauce and then my dog was like no i like that so <laughs> so she ends up eating the hot sauce and then we get even spicier hot sauce which was like a uh like a i can't remember what it is and she was like again loved it mm-hmm. and then we ended up getting this thing called it was like like devil sauce and at this point like we're like okay we can't this is this idea is dumb like this isn't working this isn't working she obviously likes hot sauce and and she ends up we get this like super hot stuff and that was the only time she didn't so i have this giant jar of like super super hot <laughs> hot sauce and and usually that's reserved for when when i can't eat something but i know i need to eat it because it's food right it's food and we should consume it exactly so, good in burritos what's that it's good in burritos oh okay burritables yeah i um the guy that uh another quick plug for fear the riff um but which i'm by Coming the time soon. this drops I'll probably be in the air or almost by the time this comes out. So weird timing. But um, the guy that runs through the rift, Johnny, he has, owns a hot sauce company. Oh, there you go. And uh, he's got one called Riff Lord that I am like addicted to. It's so good on anything that hot sauce would be good on. This is just even better. It's super, super good. So he's his uh, his company's called uh, Heartbreaking Dawns for anybody. Uh, and they didn't sponsor this episode, but uh Oh, well, <laughs> really, really, really good hot sauce. Um, heartbreaking Dawns. I like it. Even though they got a, they got one called the 1498 and it's the scorpion pepper one. Ooh. And I, I, it, you know, I can only take so much heat, <laughs> but that one's so good. Like I have to like hit myself with it once in a while. Just like, let me, let me hit me, hit me a little bit of that on some eggs and I eat it. And I'm like, this is so delicious. It's going to hurt in just a second. Oh, there it is. Ah! I I have a bad habit. Like, I love spicy food. Mm -hmm. And I have a bad habit of, like, uh, it's really hot. And and I'll eat it. And, like, my wife is, like, next to me. She's like, oh, my God, it's burning my eyes. It's so hot. I'm like, oh, it's fine. So I'll eat it, and I'll eat it, and I'll eat a lot. And Mm -hmm. all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, God, I'm dying. There it is. There It finally hits me to the point where I'm, like, I I start, like, hiccuping. That happened to, uh, we were at a, a, a Chinese restaurant. Uh, and I, I can't remember what I got, but it had like the full chilies. Mm-hmm. And, and I was like, it was in the spoonful. I was like, I'll just eat it. It's fine. Yeah. And it was fine for a couple seconds. And then it really hit me. And then my eyes started watering and it looked like I was crying. And we were getting in a fight at some restaurant. But <laughs> my wife's like, I swear I didn't say anything. 
the hot stuff is weird. I haven't done that much research into it, but I like I like spicy food. Um, but what I find really weird about certain hot things, it's like you have to keep eating it. Yes. And it's when you stop that the fire hits <laughs> you. So it's like, oh, this is going to be so bad when this bowl's empty. Like it's kind of hot right now, but I know if I stop, like it's like the wall of fire just comes in. I don't know what that's about. It's killing your taste buds. Is that, like, is that what it is? It's most likely. It's yeah. like your your taste buds are getting censored overload, and then by the time they realize what's happening, you're like, okay, they're gone. <laughs> it's just too late. It's too late. Oh man, that is a. And then your stomach's like, what did you just do to me? Usually, so that's what's interesting is like usually if I can get it past like the hot mouth and everything. I'm okay. I seem to be able to digest it okay. Uh, it's but sometimes it's going, you know, try, just trying to eat it. And I, that's the battle. <laughs> it's really. I love it. I love spicy food, but I have a hard time. It varies so much. It's like this local Thai place. You know, my buddy was like, "Careful!" And they start with a three. It's pretty hot, and so I started with a three. I'm like, say hot, like, and I went to the four, and the five was their hottest. Five didn't seem that hot to me, and I'm not I'm not a tough guy, so it it I just my, my point is is it varies, and then I've had uh I've had stuff. We have a place that's been on like diners, drive-ins, and dives a lot around here, uh called uh, oh Salvador Molly's. Have you yeah, been there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I got that. I can't remember what level I got for my jambalaya. I got like a mid-level one, and it was pretty hot. And then all of a sudden, it killed me. I couldn't I couldn't eat anymore. But there was quite a bit left. I was like, I'll take it home. Maybe I'll dilute it with some eggs or something. <laughs> Put some milk in it. Yeah. Like, we'll, we'll be okay. <clears throat> but, like, I was like, I had to tap out. I couldn't eat it. It was it was too hot. Next day, threw it in the bowl, warmed it up, and I was like, I'll take a couple bites and see what I need to do. Ate the whole thing. No problem. Really? And I didn't even, it was like, it's kind of hot. I don't know. I feel like it changes on a day-to-day basis. Well, I mean, that's true. And, and I don't know if this is the general journal thing um i used to work for a liquor store and there was a product done by a local company um which was uh wasabi mm-hmm. vodka oh yeah well get get this so that sounds a little bit not like it's, something for me it's dangerous it's complete like mainly for bloody marys mm-hmm. um so then you know it sold somewhat well it had his, his things but then all of a sudden we got this mass sent out email being like Please take this off the shelf. This is dangerous. Please don't do it. What? Because what happened was, and they didn't think about this, is they made it so spicy that the more you open up the 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 bottle, the spicier it got. So by by the time people were getting towards like the end of the bottle, it was like it was undrinkable and like it was dangerous to even touch it because it was just like burn your hands. Really? It was funny. Yeah. It I that was like the only time I've ever gotten a, a product recall. I was like, I kind of want to try this. <laughs> right. <laughs> does, can I take one? Home? Does does that liquor get recalled that often? No, very rarely. Um, I worked uh, eight years in the liquor industry, and I probably had it happen like th- three times. Oh, the, 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 the what happens? There's three things that happen. One, like a bad recipe like that. Um, mm. But a lot of times is uh, you'll have stuff from like a filter filter situ- situation, like tequilas. A lot of tequilas will end up having like the the what they filter it through mm-hmm. is like this like blue kind of foamy stuff. Um, and it, it will like deteriorate and it'll go into the bottle. Um, and then actually most of them tend to be tequilas, not bashing tequilas. Tequilas are fun. Um, 
per just, se. Just, just coincidentally. Just, just coincidentally. Mm-hmm. And then you also had a, another big one. And this was like big news. Um, this giant liquor company that has numbers on it. Uh, I don't want to say <laughs> just in case they're listening because they're following us. Um, oh, oh, boy. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, they ended up having, they were known for, for you can put, you can tip the tequila upside down and it would pour the perfect shot and the lid had like this like a oh that sounds familiar you, yeah. you've probably seen it because there was a ton of commercials for it and it had the guy from um uh the sopranos he was like the, yeah, this, he yeah, was on yeah, there yeah okay um but what happened is is they got a bad batch of glass so the glass just started to deteriorate oh no yeah so all of a sudden you got this really bad recall notice that you're like okay Take this off the shelf, sending it back to the manufacturer because mm-hmm. this—you'd look at it and there's there's just kind of this white glass kind of glass c- yeah. kind of stuff, and it was that was probably the worst. But for the most part, it's usually kind of manufacturer error, and it, it comes down to making it hot or the labels wrong because um, they there's a lot of rules that liquor companies have to follow, um, especially especially with like the um, the Surgeon General's mm-hmm. uh, uh, notice on it. If it doesn't have like a label screwed up on that, they can't sell it. They legally have to like take it off the shelf. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times you associate with that, but there's not very liquor is like that one thing. It's like very safe in in the sense of um, there's not much you can do to screw it up. Right. As long as you uh... you can screw yourself up. <laughs> right. But with, you can't screw it up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny that that even this day and age, like I understand why it would have come into play when it came into play, but like. That you were just talking about the Surgeon General's label being a big deal. It's like it's kind of funny that this day and age is like, yeah, people need to know. Like, that, if you drink too much of that, it's not good for you. Like <laughs> anything in moderation. I mean, it's true. And I mean, that that being said, it's like you would think that. But I've also been on in the side of the liquor store. I have like those horror stories. You're just like, how are you a human being? Right. It just it's just like that bizarre. It's weird. It's. I just don't think the label's gonna stop that guy. No, it's not gonna stop. <laughs> no, th- there's there's not much stopping that guy. No, clearly. including myself. <laughs> You're like, here you go, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> Good times. Yeah. Well, we finally uh, we've uh, hit that uh, hour mark just to touch over. But is uh, there anything else you'd like to plug before uh, before we wrap this up? Uh, support Blake. Support the community. Um, Gun Street is really focused. I really. It sounds really funny to say, but I really don't care about the money. I really care about the community and, and what you do in the community and how it can help other people. Um, growing up, the community is one of the biggest things about myself. So anything you can do to support the community, whether listening to Blake or just you know talking with other people about guitars, just help out. Follow, follow Gunstry on Instagram, Facebook. Don't follow us on Instagram. <laughs> Your choice. No, I said follow. Do follow. It. There do, you go. Do it. No, yeah. No, it, it's a. It, that's what's great about Sean and why we we talked and I was excited to have him on the show. Even you know you know he as you guys have heard he sponsored the the show quite a bit, but he's very uh, focused on the guitar community and how it's helped him in his life, and he wants to you know give back. And I Trend really favor. appreciate that and uh, appreciate you taking the time to come down. And it was a uh, it was great talking to you. Thanks so much. Yeah. So, for Sean, this is Blake, and as always, folks, good luck and good tones. I gotta say, 
I'm kind of digging this uh, more live in studio approach to this uh, this stuff. As as a lot of you guys know, 99.9% of these are done remote, and A, they don't sound quite as good, and B, uh, it's just kind of the nature. No one can drop what they're doing and fly to Portland for a session, nor can I travel the country uh, to talk to, or the world in some cases, to uh, talk to these people. So remote podcasting is the name of the game most of the time. That said, I'm really liking this live in studio stuff. It uh, it's a little more personal. It's a little more um, it's a little weird because I'm not used to having a big mic in my face quite in the same way while I'm while I'm trying to look at someone and have a conversation. But that said, this is working out pretty well, I think, and we're gonna try to do more of it. There's a lot of people local to me that are in the industry, and you know, hopefully, maybe when people happen to pop in from out of town, we can take some time, do a little casting and and catch up at the same time. So hopefully we're going to bring more live from the shred shed type things for you guys. That said, there is about another 30 minutes or so of this podcast that we went ahead and recorded. Um, we recorded an extra kind of bonus content sort of episode for the Patreon page. So if you go to tonemob.com slash no, I'm always saying tonemob.com, but in this case, that's wrong. Patreon.com slash tonemob is actually the place. That's patreon.com slash tonemob. And you can see the different levels there. You know, you can support the show for as little as $1 a month, and that, that actually helps a lot more than what you would think. Uh, at the $5 level, you start getting extra bonus weekly episodes. And there's some other levels there that you can research if you're interested, but at $5 a month, you get a bonus ex- a bonus a bonus episode every week so more content for your ears um usually it's a uh, my good friend Justin Porter and I uh, just shooting the breeze in the shred shed talking about gear he's a very active member of the community and one of my best friends so you can imagine the vibes a little bit different but that said sometimes I get the guests for extra time and I'm gonna try to push as much of that as we can but it's all kind of up to whether the guests have the time to do it or not. So anyway, that's where you go for that information. And if you could do me a favor and share this show with just one friend, uh, somebody you think uh, might get something out of it, just uh, just tell them about it. Uh, sharing online is, is great, and that's how most people find it, but there's a kind of a personal touch uh, that comes from like a recommendation. Like, I mean, that's how I got into podcasting, was by Leon being like, you need to listen to these guitar podcasts. So it's uh sometimes takes that that good uh, personal connection to get people to pull the trigger and that really really helps out around here if you can if you can make that happen. And one last thing to plug before the show is officially over. This is the last episode that will be coming out before I am attending Fear the Riff. So I'm flying out in a couple days to New York City. I'll be there August 11th, Saturday, August 11th. That is just here in a couple days as of this episode's dropped. And I hope to see you guys there. I'm going to have some swag for people. If you are a listener of the show, you know that you need to contact me, info at tonemob.com, and I might be able to do a little something as far as getting you into the show goes. So that's Fear the Riff, Brooklyn, New York, and I really hope to see you there. It's going to be great, and I'm really excited uh, to meet everybody and to play a whole bunch of new pedals, because who isn't excited about that? So anyway... Thank you guys for listening. We'll be coming at you next week. And until then, take care.
One last thing before we totally sign off here, I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to ToneMob.com Stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things, and by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is ToneMob.com Stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstreet as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gunstreet harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunstreetWiringShop.com and check them out. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com, and I'll see you there. I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to something about the Beatles, now in Evergreen, and wherever you get your podcasts.